the convention collective Sandbox. At Emerald City Comic Con 2019. So, I mean, maybe not in comics. Aaron, oh, no, who's not in comics? No. In or out of comics? No, yeah, no. no, they're all in comics. I mean, I always love hanging out with people who, from publishers that I know. I mean, I know some of the people from Top Cow here. Aaron Campbell, who's the artist on Infidel, uh, did uh, our Port of Earth uh, variant cover. So it's nice to catch up with him, and then Jordan Boyd, who's the new colorist on Quarter of Earth, is here. So I got to, to uh, meet him, and the last time I met him was a couple years ago when I was a fan, and now uh, yeah. I'm writing a comic that he's uh, cool. coloring. It is cool. Uh, and you know, you just get to you know, that Thompson and Lonnie are behind me, and uh, Michael Morepci is next to me, and I love wasted space, and I love what Bolt is doing, and so it, it's just it's very cool. Yeah. So I know that you have multiple series kind of going concurrently right now, and the one that I'm most familiar with is Lost City Explorers. Um, so I was wondering if you could just talk a little bit about maybe how your process has changed or how your approach to telling the story in each series has changed as your that's kind of a newer one, like as, as you're starting a in terms story. from Eclipse to Port yeah, yeah. to Lost City Explorers. I mean, Eclipse was my first, mm-hmm. and I, uh, I didn't. A couple things were uh, a drawback. I was learning along the way in terms of better understanding the comic medium each time. Uh, initially, when I did Eclipse, I only thought I was going to have four issues, and then I got four more, and then so I never really understood the the depth of how much I was going to have. Port of Earth, I went in. I knew I had eight issues, so I was able to contain it as kind of an eight issue um, season one, so to speak. And then I was able to, when I thought about getting a chance to go again, I was able to go, okay, here's another season of eight issues. And I started to wrap my head more around what an eight issue arc looks like. For Lost City Explorers, I knew that that was going to be uh, a five issue arc that could stand on its own. And I had ideas about where I wanted to go. And I think I better understood, hopefully fans feel the same way, how to, how to end it with enough of a tease that people would be down to would want more but at the same time it, they read it and they go okay that that stood on its own um, I think I 
hoping I continue to try to become more comfortable about how much story is the right amount in an issue and how to, what what makes a good cliffhanger. And, it's know. so hard to find that balance between presenting enough story that it feels like you get a, a full piece of it in one issue and not enough that you're... And sometimes you feel like you want moments to breathe. You know, I think of like in Lost Six Wars when they find out that, that uh, they think Dad is dead. And I wanted to let that breathe. I wanted a page that was just the funeral, that was no words, and just that moment and close ups. And I, you know, a lot of in Lost Six Wars, a lot of times I came to moments where I just thought, can she just have a panel? Because at the end, I wanted people to feel like they had been constantly connected to her. Um, since it's her story. And it's really worth reading that first issue just to see what you put in the casket. I think that was really... It was just a suit. Uh, it's his suit. Yeah. And it's a, his book, uh, which is The Odyssey. Uh, Homer's, and Homer's Odyssey, of course, his oldest son is named Homer, and she's named Hel, Helen. And so there's a lot of thought that went into that kind of stuff there. Um, but yeah, I think, you know, I'm still trying to understand the medium and the craft and still get better at it, but I think I definitely was able to approach lots of explorers. And, and now when I can see the new stuff, I find myself even more comfortable. So. Yeah, so that's a perfect segue to my next question, which is just what, if you can tell me, what other maybe conspiracy theory type worlds, hidden worlds, are you excited to write new stories about? Will we ever go back to Atlantis since we kind of really only got a brief I would love of it. to. And for Lost Explorers, I would love to do another arc, and I would love to go back to Atlantis. Okay. Uh, as far as I'm concerned, that's where the story would need to go for another yeah. arc. We have to go, and she got to see it afar. We have to, we have to go. She's got to go into the heart of Atlantis to see if she can find her dad and what is there. And uh, so, uh, yeah, I would love to, 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 to do that, you know. Um, the Lost City in the first arc is kind of the New York underground, is. which is, is and, really you know, fascinating. I, I, this was a real challenge to me because when I conceived of this, this story, there were two worlds that needed to be explored. You have the underground New York, which in and of itself is its own world. And then you have the world of Atlantis. And so in terms of how to structure that as a, as a five-issue story, you either are starting the teenagers on the go from the very beginning, and by the end of issue one or issue two, they're done with the underground New York, so that we can get into Atlantis. Or you just say, actually, the store Atlantis is the destination, and this is really at least the first world has to be the under the underground world of New York City. And I loved a lot of the uh, references you threw into popular sci-fi movies and, and pop culture. The Close Encounters of the Third Timeline was really good. Yes. Um, well, I grew up on all that stuff, and it's close to my heart. I love all that stuff. Yeah. So, um, what what were some of your your other favorite moments in in Lost Explorers or other books where you're able to reference some of some of your personal favorite pop culture things? Such a good question. Um, I mean, Lost City Sports is a modern story, so it, it has elements of pop culture in there. Um, it's not, not there as much? 
I don't think it. I don't think it has much, much, many references. So to speak. It might have. Um, there might be tropes or things that I've, you know, been inspired by from other, other film and TV and comics. But and same with Port of Earth. I mean, I'm inspired, but but Lost Explorers was, yeah, you know. Uh, it's more pop culture. Yeah. One thing that I really liked about Lost City Explorers was that you were able to kind of subvert that trope of the evil, super-powered conglomerate. That was important to me, yeah. Yeah, and so, yeah, I think you, could you talk a little bit more about why you chose to do that? Was that intentional from the beginning, or did it kind of come about as the story went along? I, I mean from anyone who reads any of my work. I like complex stories. And anytime I deal with an antagonist, to me the antagonist that their worldview, why they're doing what they're doing, what they ultimately want has to make sense. Yeah. And so, you know, thinking about who these kids are up against in Lost Explorers, you know, and this, this company, it, it had to feel grounded. I didn't want you know, the, the Elon Musk head of the whole thing to be chasing them in the suit. That doesn't make, that's not realistic. It's realistic to have henchmen chasing them. And, and and then it's more realistic to not have them trying to, they're, they're, that company's goal is to try to contain the situation because there's something valuable here. And the only way that they'll be able to exploit it monetarily over time is to contain it all and then, you know, uh, take advantage of it. So, I don't know, I just, I just um, when I write a character like Barrow in, in, in Lost City or or even the mercenary, the henchman that he gets, it's, this is classic corporate cleanup just yeah. to the nth level and, and yeah. it, I don't know, it makes it feel more authentic to me. Yeah, and then to have to see where it all, how it all winds up, and then they're almost on the same side now. Yeah, it, that was really refreshing to me. I, I definitely didn't expect it, and and I think it'll be it'll be interesting for for Hell. Well, I think it's, yeah, those characters like Adam, for example, is not an evil character. He's um, he's a mid-level or even low-level executive for this company. He's on this crazy project. He's in his twenties. He's not interested in killing anybody. He's, he's interested in making a name for himself and having this project go well. He doesn't want the project scrapped, but he certainly doesn't want these kids that he might have drank with, you know, a few years ago. He doesn't want them to be hurt in any way. And the mercenaries are there to protect people. They don't, you know, they, it, it's not going to be in anyone's best interest to have a bunch of teenagers dead in the, in the middle of all this. It just doesn't make sense. It makes more sense to make those characters as human as possible. So, yeah. So one thing I've seen you talk a lot about online is just your kind of love for the creative process and and your love of encouraging that in other people. So uh, I don't know what are what are some of the first things that you tell someone maybe who wants to make their own comic book or write their own story. <laughs> I'd say do it. Just do it, yeah. <laughs> that sounds like very complicated uh, advice. Uh, I'd say start small, you know, um, because find something that you're excited about, tell it. It's a comic, get an artist. 
Um, it doesn't have to be perfect. It doesn't have to be. It's, it doesn't have to be the thing that's going to blow you up. <laughs> I think so many, so many starting creators want to be where they see everyone else, and you're you're not going to get there without a ton of work. The work starts actually once you start the process of selling. Selling yourself. Selling meaning not just selling books, but selling who you are to other people. Selling yourself, uh, selling your presence, sharing your presence, putting yourself out there, developing relationships. This is a, a never-ending uh, process. And a lot of times creators think, well, I'm going to sit down, I'm going to make, even even if they're thinking small, they're going to make 10 issues, or I mean 10 pages, right? They think somehow they're going to get a, a single table at one convention <laughs> with their, ten, their one issue, yep. and they're going to turn into the next home team. And it's, that's not how it works. And so I, I think I'm all for empowering. They, they should be, they should go for it. But they should go for it understanding, because if they hear that and they say, I don't want it, then they have a shot. Then they have what it really, that's what you need. You need to be willing to put that, that time in. Because the rest can you can learn on the way, learning how to be a better writer, learning how to uh, be better at the medium, learning how to do a convention, all that can be learned. But you you have to do something and then do another thing and then do another thing and you have to leave. And right now there's, compared to a decade ago or so, you have all of these different outlets and social media that are kind of helping authors and writers storytellers of all kinds to grow their brands before things are even available for sale. Yes. And, you know, if you're out there providing so much free publicity, like, I I personally do a lot of it for prose novels, and I'm getting more into comics and stuff right now, but do you have, um, I don't want to talk about horror stories or anything, but do you have any, any stories of particularly positive experiences with, like, book Twitter or people promoting your stuff for you who are really champions for your brand? I think um, it's, we live in a world with social media where it's very easy to find fellow collaborators who are at the same level as you, and that's very important. Um, you have to be very honest about where you are, and you have to be very honest about where another collaborator is, and the best relationships are going to be ones that are the same. Um, you know. So when you reach out, I remember when I, I not I remember uh, when I was coming out with Eclipse. Someone was like, "Reach out to your favorite five creators and tell them and see if they'll promote your thing." And I think I like messaged Warren Ellis on, you know, and of course did Rick Remender, you know, and of course they didn't write me back. And now I realize, of course they didn't, of course they didn't, uh, and that was that was not the right way to, to do that and and so it's not, it's not shame on me but it's certainly I didn't understand it's and, another thing you need to learn to, to really grow yeah but now you know the the collaborators that I get excited about with that are online that I retweet that I they're all we're all on the same level and I see others who are helping each other on the same level you know there's always this kind of sentiment that 
um, you should extend a ladder down, and you should from time to time. But it's so much easier to extend a, a, a rope across yeah. and to say, I'm up coming up, and there's a dozen other people that I love, and I want to all come up with them. So I, I, I think that, um, but you, you're right, we live in a great opportunity you know, time where it's really... Yeah, I think it's really mind-blowing how much, like, I'm on Bookstagram every spare second I have of the day, and just seeing how many authors are open about, I wouldn't have sold any books if it weren't for the people I hit up on Bookstagram to post pictures of them, yeah. you know, and just having that free form of yeah, well, people people are people are willing to to help each other yeah. out, especially. Yeah, and I think that's the beautiful thing. A lot of those social media outlets get a bad rap because why would people do this for free? But it's because they're passionate about it. Yeah. And I think it's really cool to see how willing people are to promote creativity. And yeah. I thought of something else I wanted to ask you, and now I can't remember oh. what it was. <laughs> we can come back to it if it pops back in. I don't think it's Or you can email to. me I'm and we can tired. insert it in. <laughs> uh, but no, I just really uh, appreciated some of the stuff I saw you saying about, about creativity and encouraging creativity. And, uh, yeah, how it's, it's difficult to want to engage sometimes or that if people get knocked down that they want to stay down and it can be hard to keep fighting. to all of us. Yeah. It to all of us. I mean, I went through periods in my life uh, you know, where I would stop creating you know, and you just stop for six months and then you kind of realize you're actually putting that out there by not creating, by not talking about it, you're putting it out there. People also always conflate believing in yourself with faking it. I think it's really important not to fake it. You have to be really honest about it. You know? uh, there's nothing wrong with starting at the bottom, wanting to do something like wanting to make a comment, wanting to make a web comic, and you know, some people come up to my table all the time and they say, you know, we're in talks and we've got this thing going. It's okay that you, you don't need that. You don't. No one. No one is judging. You know, you can just say, I want to make a comic. And if anything, if if there if someone comes to me and their passion lies in the story and what it's about, that's far more impactful than they happen to talk to some guy at some publisher who seemed interested. I, whether they're further along to getting it published is not important to me. What's important to me is that they go, I'm really interested in telling the story about what was going on in Africa in the 20s and it's just really and I go, wow, that is that is is that true? And they go, yeah. And I go, wow, that is really cool. That is really interesting. I didn't know about that. And they're like, yeah, it was this, it was pirates, it was whatever. I think it's gonna make a great I go, yeah, I so I just think that it's important to believe in your stories and connect with people, but you don't have to, it's okay that you're starting it. Yeah, for sure. I think that desire and that need for authenticity in, in writing, especially right now, like the cry for it has never been louder, and it's really amazing, again, to see like what 
the that call from social media has done to open up publishers' eyes to be like, yes, we want diverse stories. We want people of all different kinds writing stories for us. And yes, it's cool. And, um, and the crazy thing is. Um, there's two creators out there right now. One creator is trying to figure out what is the, the most commercial thing they can write to get noticed. Right. And they're going to put something out there, and it may be beautiful, and it may fall flat just because it wasn't for them. Yeah. And then there's another person out there that's going to put out the quirkiest, most indie thing ever. And they don't... They, they've... they've this is to say they both have talent. This is to say they both understand what makes a good comic. But that quirky thing could go viral. Oh, yeah. And that person could end up writing the next Aquaman because, you know, they captured, they captured something. And then yeah. someone in Marvel goes, I just love this goddamn thing or uh, DC. And then, you know, they just uh, want to... So get to correct that for me. I said Aquaman and Marvel. How, don't that, scratch that. But... Uh, yeah, you gotta believe. You gotta, it's gotta be for you. Yeah. Do you ever find yourself kind of self-correcting anything, or do you ever feel like maybe you write something not without thinking about it, but you write a story to what you think people might want to read instead of? I used to. Yeah. I used to, and um, when I got the chance to make clips, I had had enough projects in Hollywood film and TV that didn't go, and I had done enough of that, and so this was definitely going to be the way I wanted to do what it was for me, the things that interested me, and uh, and then with Port of Earth, I got the same opportunity in Boston Explorers, um, so, and now, yeah, I, I... I learned that lesson. I also I also learned the lesson that I'm not gonna write. Um, I like writing heady sci-fi. You know, that I have I, I've got a kind of a, a sandbox that I'm enjoying playing in, and it doesn't have to be. And I can there's so many different things I can do, but it doesn't have to be. Um, I mean, there's a lot of books I see come out. I'm trying to think of somewhere I go. That is an amazing book that I just I, I'm not gonna write that. And that's okay. Yeah. You know. Um, um, yeah. I remembered the thing. Yeah. <laughs> um, and it kind of goes along with that in the sense that when you see a story you really love, do you feel or not not you personally, but like for creators to see it and to not compare it to their but to be able to still celebrate it. Hold on one second, I guess. Hold on. Oh, sorry. Are you Hayden? Yeah. Is that Kaplan? Hey, man, nice to meet you. Nice to meet you, too. I know, who knew, right? Uh, you can come slide. Uh, yeah, I was just saying, uh, I think it's important for, for how do you feel about the, yep. this whole idea of creators looking at efforts similar to yours that you really love and, like you said, not wanting to recreate it, but, you know, creating collaboration of competition and I mean, I, pitfalls and, and stuff that kind of arise out of that online sometimes. I don't subject myself to that stuff. I mean, I, uh, I, you know, Fear Skate by Ryan O'Sullivan is a really amazing, cool new book. I think we stole your chair. Uh, sweet. And, uh, 